podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, the 27th of March. Hope you're all keeping well. Hope you all had a nice weekend. We're going to get straight in to looking at the Euro 2024 qualifiers. We had games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There are more games today. There are games tomorrow. It's an international football bonanza, which nobody really wanted. Ah, right. We will do Friday's games then. Um, Bulgaria nil, Montenegro one. Gibraltar nil, Greece three. Nobody of note scoring there. Moldova one, Faroe Islands one. Serbia two. Lithuania nil, Dusan Tadic and Dusan Vlahovic with the goals in that one. Austria four, Azerbaijan one. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer, now of Manchester United, with two. Uh, Christoph Baumgartner with the fourth goal in that one. He's a name to keep an eye on. He might be in the Premier League next season. Sweden nil, Belgium three. Uh, Romelu Lukaku with a hat-trick, freed from the terrors that was Roberto Martinez's manager. Uh, Belgium looked more like a football team for the first time in quite a while. Um... Czech Republic 3, Poland 1. Big win for the Czech Republic. France 4, the Netherlands 0. Uh, Griezmann and Upamecano put France 2-0 up inside 10 minutes. Mbappe scored on 21 and then wrapped it up 
on 88. That first half performance by the Netherlands was an embarrassment and Ronald Koeman should be ashamed of himself. Uh, Scotland 3, Cyprus nil. John McGinn and 2 from Scott McTominay, who always seems to be a much better player for Scotland than he is for United. Uh, Israel 1, Kosovo 1. Armenia won Turkey 2. Ozan Kabak with an own goal put Armenia 1 up. Uh, Ergen Koku, who is a tremendous player for Feyenoord, he made it 1-1. Artikoglu scored the winner on 64 to give Turkey a good away win. Belarus 0. Switzerland 5. Renato Stefan with a hat-trick. Granit Xhaka scoring in that one as well. Spain 3, Norway minus Erling Haaland, nil. Danny almost scored on 13 minutes. And Jocelyn, you remember Jocelyn, he wasn't very good in the Premier League for well, multiple clubs. Uh, he scored two in three minutes, having come on as a sub. Croatia won, Wales won. This is a great result for the Welsh. Kramerich scored on 28 minutes to put Croatia one up. They dominated the game and looked like they were going to win comfortably. But they couldn't break down the Welsh defence for a second time. And Nathan Broadhead scored on 93 minutes to equalise. Great result for the Welsh. Uh, Andorra nil, Romania 2. And then into the second round of matches, which kicked off yesterday. Kazakhstan 3, Denmark 2. Denmark went 2-0 up. Rasmus Hoysland, who I've been telling you about, he scored twice. That's five goals in two games for him for the Danes, or two starts. And they were cruising. And it looked like they were going to win the game easily. Uh, then they gave up a penalty on 73 minutes, which, which was converted. And then two late goals by Kazakhstan players, whose names I will not butcher, gave the Kazakhs a shock win. And that's a big disappointment for Denmark, who should have cruised to victory having gone 2-0 up. Uh, England beat Ukraine 2-0. Harry Kane adding to his record as England's top goal scorer of all time. And then a worldie from Bakayo Saka. All his own work, sensational stuff. Uh, Liechtenstein 0, Iceland 7. A uh, bunch of Vikings scored in that one. Slovenia 2, San Marino 0. Benjamin Sesko with the first and Roberto De Maio scoring an own goal. Slovakia 2, Bosnia-Herzegovina 0. Robert Mack and Lucas Harislin. Northern Ireland 0, Finland 1. Disappointing result for the Northern Ireland. Benjamin Kalman with the only goal of the game. Uh, Luxembourg 0, Portugal 6. Uh, Cristiano stat padding once again. Jeff Felix, Bernardo Silva, Ottavio, and Rafael Liao with that one. Cristiano uh, now, you know, a specialist of scoring against plumbers and school teachers. Not so much if you put a good team against them. Uh, Malta nil, Italy two. Italy will be disappointed in this because really, really and truly, they should be absolutely wiping the floor with Malta. Uh, Rotegi scored again, so that's two and two for him. And Piscina scored on 27. You expected them to go on and win comfortably, but that's just how it ended. Tonight, then, we have eight matches Montenegro against Serbia. That's a rivalry game. That should be good. Netherlands against Gibraltar. If the Netherlands don't win by a minimum of four goals, Ronald Koeman should be sacked on the spot. Uh, Poland against Albania, Austria against Estonia, Sweden against Azerbaijan, Moldova against the Czechs, Hungary against Bulgaria. If Dominic plays, it'll be interesting. If not, not so much. And then the big game of the day is Ireland versus France. Uh, If you think that just because it's been near 14 years, just because he's apologised multiple times. You think we have forgiven and forgotten Thierry Henry's blatant cheating back in 2009? You would be mistaken, my friend. You would be mistaken. This is a revenge game. We don't expect to get much revenge, but if we can hold them to two, 
we'll be happy enough. We've got talent. I think we can cause them some problems. Evan Ferguson up against their defense, I think can cause them some problems. Um, but stopping Mbappe is going to be nearly impossible. And we will have Gavin Basunu back in goal, which is obviously an upgrade uh, on Kelleher, who had a stinker in the Latvia game. I'm not hopeful. I'm not hopeful. If we can limit the damage to a good defeat by two goals, that for me I'll take. Um, because the rest of the group, the Netherlands will be tough. But we should beat Gibraltar comfortably home and away. I think we can beat Greece, at least at home, and maybe get a draw away. If we can get a draw at home to the Dutch, if we can get that third place and get a spot in the qualifiers, I'd be happy enough. Um, Moving on, there was no Premier League or Championship action, obviously, over the weekend. But there was football. There was... League One action, League Two action, and the National League. So we'll have a look at some of that uh, in League One. Starting off on Saturday, Port Vale went to Portsmouth and got themselves a 2-2 draw. They had gone 2-0 up. Matt Taylor and Funzo Ojo had them two up on 39 minutes. But Colby Bishop and Michael Jacobs scored two goals in three minutes for Portsmouth to earn them a home draw. Charlton won, Wickham won. Miles Lieburn put Charlton up, but Chris Farino-Joseph equalised on 82 minutes to end that one in a draw as well. MK Dons won, Morecambe nil. Jonathan Leco, if I'm not mistaken, that's the kid that came through at West Brom and was super highly rated and a couple of big clubs tried to nick him. And I think West Brom ended up winning some sort of case against somebody. Is that him? Yes. Yeah, came through at West Brom, made his debut like really early, uh, the 15-16 season. Made his competitive debut on the 23rd of September 2015. He was 16 years of age. Played multiple times for them at 16. His Premier League debut also came before his 17th birthday. I can't remember who the clubs were that tried to nick him. But obviously it just didn't work out. And unfortunately, his career hasn't panned out the way he would have hoped. But, and this is what's so strange. Well, not so strange, but it's because it's just normal the way age works, but he made his debut in 2015. He's still only 23. Hopefully, hopefully he can get his career back on track. He's got this new move now to MK Dons, um, joined them in January, and hopefully his career works out well there. He was super talented. He's had a couple of bad injuries. He had an ACL tear when he was on loan at at Charlton. Um, Hopefully he can get his career back on track because he was immensely gifted. That West Brom Academy is really good and really underrated. Uh, But he he looked like he was going to be something special, unfortunately. Injuries just uh, curtailed that for him. Exeter 5, Accrington Stanley 0. Dimitri Mitchell, Joshua Key, Sam Nombe, James Scott and Jay Stansfield with the goals there. Peterborough 2, Derby County 0. Efron Mason-Clark and Nathaniel Ogbetta with the goals for the posh. Fleetwood 2, Lincoln City 1. Adam Jackson own goal, put Fleetwood 1 up. Regan Poole equalised just on the stroke of half time. And Jaden Stockley gave Fleetwood the win with a 73rd minute winner. The big one then, yesterday, Forest Green 1, Sheffield Wednesday 0, Jordan DeAndre Garrick with the only goal of the game. Hugely disappointing for Sheffield United, who could have gone top with a win there. Uh, losing to the team nailed to the foot of the, the table, very, very poor. First win as manager for 
Duncan Ferguson. That's um, well, that's nice, nice for Big Dunk to get the win, uh, having had a genuinely disastrous run since joining. Uh, but that brings up now to a ten percent win ratio and thirteen point three percent on the career from fifteen games. He now has two wins as a manager. Uh, moving to, I don't know, we got anything else there games-wise? I don't think we do. I think that's all the games. Yeah, we've got some games. We've got one game tomorrow. We've got one game Wednesday, and then it's a full full run then at the weekend, I think. So um, we move on to League 2. Swindon Town nil, Stockport 1. Disappointing for Swindon. Jacob Wakeling sent off in the first minute. Swindon at home, zero shots, zero shots on target, 39% possession. How was he sent off in the first minute? I need to see this. I have to find this. Uh, Ryan Crowsdale with the only goal of the game in the 80th minute for Stockport to give them an away win. Uh, that is quite the impressive thing to get sent off in the very first minute of a game. Let's see if we can find why he was sent off. No. As a 21-year-old striker, though, it is... It's not great from to have been sent off that early in the game. Uh, I'm assuming there was some sort of lunge of a tackle or something stupid that he's done here. But, yeah, that's that's a bit of a shock where he's had himself. Uh, we'll move on. If anyone has the clip of how he got sent off and can send it to me at, two, at Mr. Two-Footed on Twitter or send it to at Guy Drinkle and he can tag me, that would be great. Uh, Barrow 2, AFC Wimbledon 1. Luke Jenkins had put Wimbledon one up, but Neil Canavan and Josh Gordon scored in the second half to give Barrow the win. Gillingham won Carlisle nil. Late, late goal from Sean Williams gives Gillingham a home win. Stevenage won Salford City three. Stephen, Stevie Mallon, Callum Hendry and Matt Smith with the goals for Salford. Luke Norris had actually pulled one back in the 90th minute for Stevenage and Salford went straight down the other, the other end of the pitch. And scored to make it three. Uh, Hartlepool won, Leighton Orient won. Paul Smith put Leighton Orient one up, but Connor Jennings, uh, Jennings scored in the 81st minute to give Hartlepool the draw. Grimsby won, Walsall won. Bryn Norris on 18 minutes for Grimsby. Donovan Daniels on 50 minutes for Walsall. Crawley Town 2, Rochdale 0. Dom Telford and Dion Conroy with the goals there. Doncaster nil, Northampton Town 2. Mitch Pinnock and Sam Hoskins with the goals in that one. Crew versus Bradford was postponed. Mansfield Town nil, Sutton United nil. And Colchester won, Tranmere won. Harvey Reed Saunders scored on 13 minutes for Tranmere. Noah Chilvers scored a penalty on 65 for the... Home team. Um, I didn't do the League One table. I'll come back to it. League Two. Leighton Orient top five points clear of Northampton, who are two points clear of Stevenage. Those three would be set for automatic promotion. Carlisle, Stockport, Salford, and Bradford are in the playoff spots. Then it is Mansfield, three points outside. Sutton United are two points back and Barrow are a further point back. They're the three clubs that could jump in to the playoff picture. Uh, They have eight and nine games left there. Um, Then it's Swindon on 51, Doncaster, Walsall, Tranmere, Grimsby, Gillingham, Newport, AFC Wimbledon, Crewe, Harrogate, Colchester, Crawley, Hartlepool and Rochdale are the two teams currently in the relegation zones and Hartlepool have five draws in a row. Uh, So, you know, they're not a bad team. They've just had a bad season. 
Uh, but they're tough to beat at the moment. Now, that's at the moment. They have the worst defensive record in the league. So obviously things have changed a little bit. Let's look at that League One table. Uh, top of League One is Plymouth, two points clear of Sheffield United. They're the automatically promoted teams at the moment. Sheff- oh, sorry, Sheffield Wednesday, rather. Wednesday have a game in hand still, so they can still retake top spot, but promotion is all that really matters. Uh, then it's Ipswich, who are in third and really starting to close the gap. They've won five in a row. They're in great form. As are Barnsley, who've won four in a row, are three points behind Ipswich and thus six points behind Sheffield Wednesday. But they actually have a game in hand on Ipswich and Wednesday, so potentially that's going to get really tight at the top. Uh, then it's an eight-point gap to Bolton, and Derby fill out the last playoff spot. Those two teams have 64 points. Peterborough are one point outside the playoffs at the moment, and Wickham are two points out, sorry, three points outside the playoffs. Then it's a gap to Portsmouth, Shrewsbury, Exeter, Charlton, Fleetwood, Lincoln, Bristol Rovers, Port Vale, Cheltenham, Burton Albion, MK Dons, and Oxford United are the last safe team. Accrington, Stanley, Morecambe, Cambridge, and Forest Green all in the relegation zone. It doesn't look good for Forest Green. They are 11 points from safety and have a much, much worse, much, much worse goal difference. So you might as well say 12 points. They've conceded 71 goals this season. That is an atrocity. 71 goals in 38 games. Burton have conceded 70 in 36. That is atrocious. Uh, we'll do the National League then before we go to break. Chesterfield 2, Halifax 0. Ollie Banks and Armando Dobro with the goals in that one. Borehamwood 0, Eastley 0. Maidstone 1, Woking 2. Podrick Amund with the two goals for Woking. I'm assuming he's a paddy. Let's have a gander. Yes, he is. A good Carlo lad. Good stuff. Don't know this player. He's played four times with the Irish in the 21s. It was a long time ago. Um... Good stuff. Delighted for this, fella. Padraig Hammond. Must keep an eye. Uh, back I go. Back I go. Um, who scored for Maidstone? Uh, Joshua Sonnybear. He he actually put Maidstone one up and then uh, Padraig scored twice late on to give Woking the win. Uh, Oldham Athletic one. Solihull Moores one. Mark Kitching put Oldham one up. Jack Stevens with a last gasp goal for Solly Hull to make it 1-1. Altrincham 1, South End 0. Regan Linney with an 80th minute penalty. Aldershot 2, Gateshead 3. Joe Partington put Aldershot 1 up. Adam Campbell and 2 for Marcus Deniga. Dena- sorry, Marcus Denanga. Niam- Niamabu? Probably butchered that. Marcus Denanga Niamabu. I'm going to go with that, but it's probably wrong. He got two uh, to put Gates at 3-1 up, and then Corey Jordan scored late to give all the shots some hope, but not enough. Uh, Dorking, three. Maidenhead, one. Two for Jason Pryor, one for Josh Taylor. Uh, a Charlie Adams penalty for Maidenhead was a late consolation. Notts County, four. Scunthorpe, nil. Adam Chickson, a Ben Richards Everton own goal and Macaulay Langstaff with the goals for County. Torquay won Dagham and Redbridge nil. Adam Jarvis put Torquay one up in the first half. Inny Ifiong scored in the 78th minute from penalty and the 95th minute to give Dagenham the win. Wrexham three, York City nil, a Ryan Whitley own goal, Sam Dalby and Elliot Lee giving Wrexham the comfortable three points. Uh, that game notable because Ben Foster made his Wrexham debut and kept a clean sheet, so good for him. Uh, Yeovil nil, Bromley won. Bezard Tobolaj with the only goal of the game after five minutes. 
And Wheelstone nil, Barnett two, Kabamba and Pritchard with the goals in that one. Top of the table is Wrexham, three points clear of Notts County with a game in hand. If they win their next game, they will crack 100 points. Their third goal on the weekend was their 100th goal of the season. They've only conceded 35 goals. Not to be outdone, Notts County have scored 101 goals, uh, conceded 36 goals. So both sides have the same goal difference of plus 65, which is frankly ludicrous. Um, Notts County have six games left. Wrexham have seven games left. This is an outrageous uh, battle at the top between those two. Last season, Stockport won that division with 94 points. Now, admittedly, there was a team less, so there were two games less. But still, the most they could have gotten to was 100 points. These sides have 100 points pretty much guaranteed, and there are six and seven games left. Um, 2021, Sutton won the league with 84 points. Again, two games less. 1920 was the COVID year. The year it got cancelled. Barrow had 70 points when it all got stopped. 1819, we had 24 teams. Leighton Orient won the league with 89 points. 1718, 24 teams. Macclesfield win the league with 92 points. 1617, 24 teams. Lincoln win it with 99 points. Uh, Cheltenham won it with 101 points in 1516. And in 1415, Barnet with 92. So what we're seeing this year from Wrexham and Notts County is pretty historic. You would imagine they're both going to get well over 100 points. Notts County, who do they have left? Altrincham away, Wheelstone at home, then the big one, Monday the 10th of April, 3pm kickoff, Wrexham home to Notts County. Um... Then they're home to Woking, away to Maidstone, and then they play York. I mean, realistically, they could well win all six, but let's say they win five of the six. Let's say they win four, draw one, and lose one. That's another 13 points. It's 107 points, and they'll finish second. Wrexham have Oldham at home, Halifax away, then that game against County, then Barnet away, Yeovil at home, Boreham Wood and Torquay. Let's say they win five, draw one and lose one. That's another 16 points for them. That'll take them to 113 points. That is frankly ludicrous that these two teams are so far ahead of everybody else. Like Woking are third on 71 points. And this is why I don't think it's fair that there's only one automatic spot. And I think I'm right in saying that that's still the case this year. Because let's say Notts County finish second on 107 points. They go into a playoff. They're going to play Barnet, who at the moment are 28 points behind them. Like, I don't have an issue with Barnet being in the playoffs or anything like that. But... For me, it should be two teams automatically go up and then the next four have the playoffs. The same way you do it in the higher leagues, I think three teams should come down out of League Two because, that, let's be honest, they're, they're bad enough to come down. Um, but yeah, Wrexham, Wrexham and, and Notts County are having historic seasons there. Both of them likely to break the points record. And like what Wrexham are doing is just unbelievable. These teams, these teams have only lost twice each this season. Everyone else in the division has lost double figures, bar Boreham Wood, who've lost eight. But like Woking and Chesterfield are third and fourth. They've lost ten times. 
They're 23 points behind Notts County, 26 points behind Wrexham, 40-plus goals worse off over the course of the year. What those two teams at the top are doing is unbelievable. Right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk about Spurs and how they continue to Spurs. See you in a second. Right, welcome back. So, quick little bit of research tells me that Jacob Wakeling was sent off in the first minute with 39 seconds on the clock. Uh, he was shown a straight red card for bringing down a Stockport player in the Swindon box. Stockport then missed the penalty, obviously. Um, I'm assuming then he didn't make a re- real opportunity, a real attempt to play the ball. Uh, but it's not ideal 39 seconds into a game to have your forward back making tackles in your own box. That's not ideal at all. Uh, the comments are hilarious. Um, Swindon fans are absolutely outraged by what had gone on. Uh, most of their ire obviously being directed at the player uh, rather than, you know, the the rest who shouldn't have left him in that situation. Anyway, we begin with club announcements. Antonio departs. We can announce that Antonio Conte has left the club by mutual agreement. We achieved Champions League qualification in Antonio's first season at the club. We thank Antonio for his contribution and wish him well for the future. Christian Stellini will take over as acting head coach for the remainder of the season with Ryan Mason as assistant head coach. Daniel Levy said... We have 10 Premier League games remaining and we have a fight in our hands for Champions League place. We all need to pull together. Everyone has to step up to ensure the highest possible finish for our club and our amazing loyal supporters. So, who is Christian Stellini? Well, he has been Antonio Conte's assistant at Juve, at Inter and at Spurs. His own managerial experience uh, comes from a couple of years in charge of Genoa's under-19 team and a brief spell with Alessandria. Um, a two-year deal, after which, and he was dismissed after five months, of which two, two and a half were pre-season. So not the best track record. Not the best track record. Uh, he was a good player back in the day for, for Genoa, but you know, uh, not the best track record as a manager. He is highly regarded as a coach, and Conte speaks very well of him. I'm surprised he's stayed, but maybe Conte has told him to stay in and make a mess of things for them. Um, this is being framed by a lot of people as Antonio Conte failing at Spurs, and I think context is important here. So if we think back to last season, he took over on the 2nd of November. Spurs had played 10 league games. They had won five and lost five. And they were sitting in ninth place. He would get them top four football he would get them into the Champions League. Uh, Having lost five games in their first 10, they lost only six the rest of the way in the Premier League. Um, So all things considered, Conte did pretty well last season. Again, this season, they currently sit in fourth place. Now, they have lost too many games. That's undeniable. They've lost nine games in the league this year. They give up too many goals. But the fact of the matter is they are still in fourth place. Now, you can say Newcastle and Liverpool have two games in hand. If Newcastle win those games in hand, they will go above Spurs. But Newcastle struggle to win games. So there's no guarantee they will win those games. The fact of the matter is, at this point, in his tenure, Conte is ahead of where Klopp was at Liverpool 
in his tenure. Klopp took over at a similar point in time in the 15-16 season, finished eighth. Now, admittedly, did lose two cup finals, but again, lost cup finals. Not Didn't win them, lost them. If he'd won them, it would be an argument. He lost them, there's no argument. Conte is ahead of where Klopp was at the same point in Jürgen's Liverpool tenure. And nobody would have tagged Klopp as a failure. Now, there is the idea that, you know, Spurs were in a better position, and that may be true uh, in terms of the squad that they had was a better squad than what Conte, other than what Klopp inherited. And, and that's probably true. Rodgers had done a lot of damage in his last 15 months at the club, bought a lot of crap, wasted a lot of money, lost Suarez, lost Sterling. But the fact remains that Conte has had Spurs in the top five all season. They've only been out of the top four for a seven-week run. And I think this is a mistake. Now, Daniel Levy's comments very much make it clear that it was Conte speaking out. And I would say pointing the finger of blame at that ownership, which includes Daniel Levy, that has triggered this. I think if he just criticised the players, Levy wouldn't have said anything. So Conte leaves Spurs having not won anything. Now, if we look at Antonio Conte's managerial career, uh, he was manager of Arezzo for two short spells. Um, Then he took over at Bari. He got them promoted from Serie B into Serie A in his only full season there. Then he went to Atalanta. It didn't go well. He went to Siena. He did very well there. Joined Juventus, won three league titles in three seasons. Became the Italian national team manager, went to Chelsea. Won the league title his first year and the FA Cup the second year. Then he went to Inter Milan, was a runner-up in the Europa League the first year and won Serie A the second year. And now he goes to Spurs. And he wins nothing. But his track record shows that's a Spurs thing, not a Conte thing. Because his track record is unimpeachable. He is one of the best managers in the world. But he has failed at Spurs. Quote, unquote, failed at Spurs. Who else failed at Spurs recently? Well, Jose Mourinho did, didn't he? So if we look at Mourinho's managerial career, obviously the Benfica thing doesn't go uh, to plan for him, but he you know, still did pretty well. Um, Unio Deliria is where he made his names and what attracted Porto. He goes to Porto in January of 2002, has two and a half years there, wins two league titles, a Portuguese Cup, the UEFA Cup, and the Champions League. Unbelievable run. He takes over at Chelsea. He wins two league titles, an FA Cup, two league cups, and is wrongly sacked. Finishes second in his third year because of injuries, is sacked early in year four. He goes to Inter Milan. He's there two years. He wins back-to-back league titles. He also wins a cup and a Champions League. Phenomenal. Goes to Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, he wins La Liga up against the greatest Barcelona team of all time, also wins a Copa del Rey. Then he goes back to Chelsea and he wins another league title. Now, obviously, it ended dreadfully, but he won another league title and he won another league cup. So you can't argue with the results. Then he goes to Manchester United. Year one, he wins the EFL Cup and he wins the the Europa League. Year two, FA Cup runner-up finishes second in the league to City Centurions. Now, they were never title contenders, but he still finished second in the league. Year three, it goes to hell in the handbasket, and he's out the door. But he still won two major cups there, or two cups there, one major, the Europa League, one secondary, the League Cup. Goes to Tottenham, wins nothing. Does get them to a League Cup final, gets sacked before he can take charge of that League Cup final. They lose that League Cup final. Then he goes to Roma, 
and he wins the Europa Conference League. He's in a good position this year to potentially win the Europa League, and he might well finish in the top four with them as well. So his only failure, also Tom. Now, if you've got two of the best managers of the last 20 years who've won everywhere, and they come to one specific club and neither of them win, that's a club issue, not a them issue. Tottenham's issue is they're too soft. There's not enough demands from the ownership. And there's not enough demands the other way. Because the ownership don't want to place demands of winning things on managers and players because then the demands come back the other way. Give us more money to spend. Give us better wages. Tottenham are notoriously cheap when it comes to paying their players, which is why so many of them have looked to move on in recent years. It's why Kyle Walker left. It's why Toby Alderweireld fell out with them. It's why Ericsson left. It's why Harry Kane wanted to leave. Tottenham are cheap. Always have been, always will be. They're cheap because there's no expectation, there's no demands. There's more than good enough of a squad there to compete with a couple of additions. I've said this before. You add a quality goalkeeper and two quality centre-backs to that squad. And I, I don't mean you go out and you spend... 100 million on Gvardiol, and you've got to spend another 60 million on Antonio Silva, and that's your defense. And then you've got to go and you've got to spend, let's say, another 50 million on a goalkeeper. I'm not saying you've got to spend 200 million. I think you could spend 100 million and have a team that can compete. Piero Hincapié to fill that left sided centre back role. Now you've got him and Romero either side. You've got Tanganga and you've got Davies as the backups. I think that's strong. You need one in the middle. Edmund Topsapa could be really good there. 40 million probably gets him. So there's 70 million now. That's two from Leverkusen who might not sell both. But those two would solve that defensive issue. Other names that would fit, Maxence Lacroix would fit. Um... Antonio Silva, if you wanted to spend big money, he would be a great fit in that middle role. You could look at David Carmo. You could look at Goncalo Inacio. Let's say Tab Sopper and Inacio. They're the two centre-backs you get in. So you've got Romero, Tab Sopper, and Inacio as your back three. Perfect. Tanganga, Joe Roden, and Ben Davies as your back of three. Not perfect, but pretty good. And you can sell Eric Dyer and you can sell Davinson Sanchez and maybe you get 30 million for the pair. But that brings your net spend to about 40, 45 million for your two centre-backs. Then you need a goalkeeper. You could try and get Andre Onana from Inter Milan if they have financial issues and need to sell. You could look at some Premier League options. Maybe if Southampton go down, Gavin Basunu, someone you might you might look at. If David Moyes continues to be stupid, maybe Alphonse Ariola from West Ham. I'm not a huge David Rea fan, but he, you know, would be an upgrade. There's goalkeepers you get. Alban Lafont could be the ideal one to bring in. Age profile. Maybe Villa will cash in on Emmy Martinez and maybe you can get him for about 35 million. Given his age, I think that'd be a fairly fair price. 30 million, maybe. But now you're at about 75 million net spend. And you've solved your three problem positions. You've got Martinez and Lloris, maybe for one, I think you've got a year left after this. And Forster, there's your three keepers. We've gone through the defense. You've got Poro, you've got Spence as your right wing back options, which means you could sell Emerson Real. Maybe you get 15 million for him, brings you to a 60 million net spend. Left side, you've got Sessignon and Adoji. That's ideal. Midfield, you've got Basuma, you've got Bentoncourt, you've got Hoysberg, you've got Skip, you've got Papi Matarsar, you've got Harry Winks. Maybe you sell Harry Winks, you might get another 15 million for him. That brings you to a 45 million net spend. 
Then in attack, you've got Kulisevsky and Hill for the right. You've got Kane and Richarlison through the middle. And then you've got Son plus one. You've got to maybe bring in one more in that role to complete your 23-man squad. And you just top it up with some academy players. You could just say the Perisic is the backup to Son for the year. That would be fine. They don't need to do anything else. Then you've got a 45 million net spend and you're a vastly improved team. And that's doing it on the low end. You could spend a bit more money and do it a bit higher end. But the fact is, Spurs aren't all that far away. That is a team, every bit as good as this Arsenal team that's winning at the top of the league. And Conte is a better manager than Mikel Arteta. Don't care what anyone says. Antonio Conte is a better manager than Mikel Arteta. That's why he's got five league titles, a bunch of cups, and Mikel Arteta has has an FA Cup to his name, and that's it so far. Now, maybe he'll win the league this year, and if he does, great. That means he'll have as many Premier League titles as Antonio Conte, having managed in the league for longer than Antonio Conte. But Conte's still a better manager. Spurs have messed up here. There's no one they can get that's going to be the same level. The one name that was out there that potentially could get to the same level is Tuchel, uh, but he's obviously gone to Bayern now. So that leaves Julian Nagelsmann as the the big fish to go and get, because I don't think they should go back to Pochettino. I don't know that that ever really works. And Pochettino didn't win anything when he was there. He's got this great record, this, this great reputation. He didn't win anything. He had the best team in the league for two years and didn't win the league. Finished third. Blew the title when it was gifted to them. Everybody fell apart. And he somehow finished third in a two-horse race with Leicester. He let Arsenal to sneak in. Leicester sh- or Spurs should have run away with the league that year. And Pochettino bottled it. It's not exactly like he was a runaway success of PSG either. He won a league title. Winning a league title with PSG is the equivalent of getting your free toy with your Happy Meal. Just what happens when you sign up for the dance. Nagelsmann is the name that seems to make the most sense. And the other one that I think they will look at is Ruben Amorim of Sporting Lisbon. Now, I hope he doesn't take that job because he's on my two-man shortlist to replace Klopp when Klopp leaves Liverpool. So I'd like him to stay where he is uh, because otherwise it makes it more difficult to get him. Uh, Deserby's a name that's out there. It's an interesting one. I don't think he would want that job right now. And I don't think he'll leave Brighton this summer. I think he'll give them next season at the very least. He's the other person on my shortlist of Klopp replacements. Um, but yeah, Conte, his time will be tagged as failure. It wasn't a failure. He got top four the last season. He had them on course for top four this season. If they fail to get it, it will be on Daniel Levy and co not on him. And it just highlights the issue at Spurs. You know, when you're a club as big as Spurs, and there's no doubt Spurs are a big club, but when you're a club as big as Spurs, and in the last 30 years, you've got two League Cups to show for it. You've got 1999 and 2008, and you've got nothing in the last 15 years. You're the issue, not these managers that come and go. It is very much a club issue. And if we look at other managers who've been there, like Nuno was a bit of a desperation appointment, but Nuno had done pretty well at Wolves. He was a pretty solid manager. It was a disaster under him. Pochettino won nothing. Tactics Timmy was a mess. Like Vias Boas. He's another one that went there and quote-unquote failed. I think he left with the highest win percentage in club history. 
for a manager who'd managed over 50 games. He was brilliant at Porto. He failed at Chelsea. Nobody can doubt that. But that wasn't on him. That was on the players and Roman. Roman doesn't care. The players' ego took over and their friendship with uh, with Roman won the day. But he goes to Spurs and he's gone after 18 months, despite winning 55% of his games. Uh, he ends up at Zenith. He wins again there. I think he would have won something with Marseille had he not walked out. But, you know, he won at Porto. He won at Zenith. He failed at your club. Before him, it was Harry Redknapp, who's never going to win anything of note. Juan de Ramos, there's another one. Juan de Ramos arrived at Spurs having won back-to-back UEFA Cups. He won the League Cup at Spurs. And then he got the heave-ho a few months later. He takes over in the October and he's gone within 12 months. Now, admittedly, his record wasn't great, but he still won a cup there and you still sacked him a few months later. That's the only manager in the last 24 years to win anything and he lasted a year. Martin Yole, decent manager. Jacques Santini, decent manager. Not great, but decent. Had done pretty well with France for two years. Admittedly, wasn't a vintage France team, but he'd done pretty well. He arrives, mess. David Pleat, Glenn Hoddle, George Graham. Been good everywhere, failed there. Christian Gross, I mean, he made a rod for his own back by just being... Well, a lunatic, really. But, you know, he'd had a great run of success before joining Spurs with Grasshopper. Goes to Spurs. It's a disaster. Goes to Basel. All goes well. And the fact is that George Graham and Juan de Ramos are the only managers to win anything at this club in the last 30 years. And both of them were treated poorly. George Graham can understand it because he was formerly uh, the Arsenal manager. Um, obviously, he'd been at Leeds in the interim, but he was a really good manager. Really, really good manager. And he lasted a couple of years at Spurs, won them a cup, and then got binned off. I don't know. I, I just think there's something in the water then there. I really do. I, I think they need a they need a real top-to-bottom review of what's going on at their club and how it is that no matter who the manager is, they continue to fail. And they also need to look at, you know, what is success for Spurs? Because if they don't have the ambition to win trophies, they need to let their players know that and allow them to make decisions on their own future. Right, that's all we have really for today. Um, we will do the gossip, and we will be we'll be done for today. Uh, let's see. Julian Nagelsmann is the number one candidate to replace Antonio Conte as Spurs boss. Former Tottenham boss Maurizio Pochettino is open to return to Spurs if Conte has been sacked, which he has been sacked now, but I don't know. I, I, I just wouldn't do it personally. He's a, he's open to a return because no one else has looked at him. Uh, Spurs are willing to part ways with Hugo Lloris. That's a year too late. He should have been gone in the summer. Thomas Tuchel will target Anthony Barry, who is a an assistant manager at Chelsea, uh, to join him on his staff at... Bayern Munich, Chelsea have reacted to this by crying about how unfair it is that, you know, a bigger club is coming in and taking their staff. Didn't notice them crying too much when they were stealing half the staff from Brighton. Tuchel will also attempt to sign Eduard Mende and Mateo Kovacic. I would guarantee he will do neither of those things. uh, Manchester United have joined Man City and Liverpool in exploring a deal for Kovacic. Kovacic isn't going to leave. Barcelona are interested in signing Ilkay Gundogan. It would make some sense, but I think he should stay at City. 
Arsenal are will Arsenal will sell Nicola Pepe, but may have to pay him to leave. That's that. Of course they will. He's on huge money. They're going to lose an absolute fortune on what they paid for him. An absolute fortune. They're probably going to lose fifty million, and his wages are going to be half when he goes to his next club, which means they have to pay off the remainder of his contract or the, the difference. Brutal. Uh, Manchester United have held talks with Marcus Turam's reps as they prepare to rival into Milan for his signature. He makes some sense there. Uh, Lucas Paqueta will leave West Ham if they're relegated. I think most of the players there will leave if they're relegated. PSV Eindhoven are open to selling Ibrahim Sanger with Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham and Liverpool all showing interest. Tottenham don't need him. Uh, he'd be a decent fit at Chelsea next to Enzo. He'd be a decent fit at Arsenal if Partey goes away like he should go away. Uh, I don't really like the fit at Liverpool, but he'd be an improvement in what's there at the moment. Barcelona are hopeful UEFA will not decide to ban the club from European competition amid an ongoing investigation into their alleged bribery of Spanish referees. That's not ideal for Barca, is it? Chelsea owner Todd Bowley has provisionally agreed to host an all-star fundraising match at Stamford Bridge in August in partnership with the Football for Ukraine charity. That's great. And we should show support for Football for Ukraine. We should show support for the people of Ukraine. We should be sympathetic with the people of Ukraine. We should condemn the people of Russia, particularly the president of Russia or whatever his actual title is, the Tsar. But you know who else we should be supportive of and who else we should show support for uh, on and off the pitch and we should be allowed to support without being told to keep politics out of football is Palestine. The people of Palestine. They're the people who need our support more than any. Because what's happening to them is apartheid. It just is. It just is. The Israeli state is a disgrace. Jewish people do not want the Israeli state to act the way they do, but they do. They act that way. And all of us who can should speak out against it, and we shouldn't ever be told to keep politics out of football. Nor should... Players be told to keep politics out of football when they speak out about the oppression and genocide taking place against Muslims in China. You see, what really winds me up is that we had Arsenal telling Mesut Ozil to shut up and play football when he spoke out against the treatment of Muslims in China. We had Mohamed Al-Nani basically dismissed and sent off on loan for speaking in support of Palestine. But yet, everybody wraps their arms around Ukraine. Now, it's nothing against the Ukrainians. And again, I'm fully on board with being supportive of them in whatever way we can. But let's not have the double standards just because they happen to be white and the other people happen to be brown or whatever the case may be. If it's one rule for one, it's one rule for all. We'll move on to Sunday's gossip. Uh, Manchester United are interested in signing Evan Ferguson. Uh, There's zero chance that he's going to be sold this summer. United also have concrete interest in Rasmus Hoysland. I I think also zero chance uh, he's getting sold this summer. Fulham and Serbia striker Alexandra Mitrovic has been a target for Manchester United before he was sent off for pushing Chris Kavanagh. He didn't push him. He grabbed him by the arm. Manchester City are ready to offer Erling Haaland a new contract worth £500,000 a week in a bid to stave off interest from Real Madrid. Why would he take a pay cut? That makes no sense. Leeds are interested in re-signing Calvin Phillips. I don't think that's a good move for Leeds. Brighton will not allow Roberto De Zerbi to leave if Tottenham want him to replace their current boss 
Antonio Conte. Uh, it's been reported that the Zerbi had a buyout clause, but it has since been confirmed by Andy Naylor that he doesn't. Uh, no talks have taken place between Tottenham and Thomas Tuchel. So Tottenham don't really know what they're doing here. Like They should have been talking to Tuchel before Bayern got involved. Uh, James Ward-Prowse will definitely leave Southampton this summer if the Saints get relegated with Tottenham keen to sign him. How can Tottenham be keen to sign him when they don't have a manager? Makes no real sense at all, and he's just not very good at all. It's Fraser Fletcher, which, of course, means garbage. Arsenal are among the clubs interested in Romeo Lavia. I'd imagine everyone is interested in Romeo Lavia. Inter Milan are keeping tabs on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's situation at Chelsea and could make a move. Luka Modric has dismissed suggestions that he will move to a Saudi, Saudi Arabian club, saying he wants to retire at Real Madrid. Why would he go to Saudi Arabia when he's not washed? That's where washed players go to, to finish off. Tottenham are interested in Manuel Ogart. Again, it doesn't really make sense. They are pretty much set in central midfield. Leeds have also sent scouts to watch the Uruguay international. He's too good to move to Leeds. West Ham are keen on Victor Gjorquez. Uh, he's very good. I assume that would mean Skamaka leaving. Skamaka will probably leave unless Moyes is sacked. Uh, Brentford, Crystal Palace, Everton, Leeds and Leicester. I think I named all of these clubs. I think I named all of these clubs. Maybe not Palace, but definitely the others uh, are also monitoring uh, Gjorquez. Uh, he would be a good fit if Tony leaves at Brentford or if Tony gets a long suspension. Uh, he could well be the ideal number nine for Palace. Uh, Everton, if Calvert-Lewin leaves or continues to be injured, Leeds need a nine. And Leicester, I think, probably need a nine as well. So, yeah, I think I named most of them anyway. Um, we have one last day of gossip to get through. Manchester United are interested in signing Benfica and Portugal for Gonzalo Ramos, who has a release clause of 105 million. Now, Benfica will probably sell him for less in the summer, but um, that's a lot of money for him. He's a good player and he's having a really good season. And he will go on to become, I think, a really good player, but it's a lot of money for now. Evan Ferguson will turn down a move to Manchester United because he thinks staying at Brighton will be better for his development. At Brighton will turn down any offers anyway, so he doesn't need to worry about it. United will consider David Rea as an alternative to David De Gea, who is yet to agree a new contract. Chelsea are willing to pay $100 million for top target Victor Osman. Maybe they're hoping to buy half of him. Uh, again, it's Peter Rourke, spoofer. Chelsea are in discussions with N'Golo Kante over a two-year contract. Uh, this is from the spoofer with the catchphrase. He said a month ago this deal was, was done and dusted, so maybe he was spoofing as usual. Uh, the, the Blues are disappointed with Thomas Tuchel for making public his desire to take Anthony Barry to Bayern. I mean, like I said, crying when they literally did the same thing. Arsenal will prioritise another attempt to sign... Moises Caicedo in the summer. Uh, he's just signed a new deal. And uh, Steve Kay, writing for footballtransfers.com. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say spoofer. Moving on. Arsenal, Newcastle and Brighton are all interested in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Newcastle are interested in James Ward-Prowse. That's a very Eddie Howe move. But Fraser Fletcher, spoofer. South Korea defender Kim Min-Jae, who has been linked with Manchester United, but he says he's not interested in rumours and wants to focus on playing for Napoli. Napoli may well win a Serie A Champions League double this year. So um, he might want to stay there. Barcelona have ruled themselves out of the running for Ruben Neves, largely because they've got no money. Sergio Busquets could move to MLS soccer. This has been going on for too long. It's time for him to make a decision. Barcelona do not want Danny Almo to remove to renew his contract at RB Leipzig so they can sign him on a free transfer 
when his current deal ends in 2024. That is very Barcelona. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan does not want to stay with Man City and looks set to go to Barcelona. That's from sport in Spain, though, so it's probably tripe. The head of the Brazilian FA have claimed that Carlo Ancelotti would be the perfect coach of the Brazilian national team. I I would have a tough time disagreeing with that. I I think he would. Chelsea and Arsenal will go head-to-head in a bid to sign Everton and Belgian midfielder Amadou Onana after an impressive start to his career at Goodison Park. He'd fit well next to Enzo in a two. I don't think he works particularly well in a three at Arsenal, given how they play. And I don't think he's a six in their system. But I could be wrong. So there we go. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will see you tomorrow. No, before I go, I won't be here tomorrow. I will see you all Wednesday. I have an appointment tomorrow. So I'll see you all Wednesday. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.